I'm Alexander Price, and you're listening to Machine Elf Radio. Today I'm going to be talking about songs and singing in the Hebrew Bible. And this connects with uh, some earlier episodes where uh, I've talked a little bit about how, uh, you know, this idea that that, uh, there are spirits that are singing reality into existence and it's something that we can uh, participate in and start to, you know, something that we can do consciously along with them. And I've also, you know, just briefly touched on the idea of uh, Australian Aboriginal dream time and the the this idea that the indigenous people of Australia have that the physical reality we inhabit, uh, the actual landscape uh, of uh, our environment is a product of the singing and uh, the songs of, of the ancestors. So I want I I, uh, I just want to like evoke those ideas to have them in the back of your mind as we're talking uh, about these uh, songs in the Torah and uh, in the uh, Hebrew scriptures. I also talked with uh, Rabbi Getzel a couple weeks ago about blessings and curses, and I'm going to try and uh, bring these, all of these ideas together today, partly because in the songs that you see in the Hebrew Bible, there's a lot of, uh, uh, there are a lot of songs of praise of God, and I think it's uh, a sort of blessing that, that, uh, that the, uh, the songs that people sing, especially prophets, that they're, they're gen- the, the songs often happen at uh, critical moments in the story, uh, and they're often songs of, of praise and uh, 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 that praise, you know, I think that it's uh, a kind of blessing, like blessing God, and uh, and it belongs to that, I guess, genre of blessings and curses that we just kind of touched on with Rab- with uh, with Rabbi Getzel. So the Hebrew word for song is shir, and uh, there are traditionally ten songs or shirot, which is the plural of shir. Shirot. There are ten ten of them. Uh, traditionally identified in the Hebrew scriptures. The first one is Psalm 92, so it doesn't actually occur, like, uh, they don't occur in order in the book, but uh, um, I think the idea is that this is the uh, order that they appeared in time, even if they appear in a different order in the book itself, um, like, in in time as in in history. And uh, so so this, uh, the first shear is Psalm 92, which the tradition says uh, is a song that uh, that Adam sang uh, at the completion of the creation of the world. Uh, and it's short enough, I'm going to read it, the whole thing, just uh, uh, so we hear it. Psalm 92, a psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. It is good to praise the Lord, to sing hymns to your name, O Most High, to proclaim your steadfast love at daybreak, your faithfulness each night. With a ten-stringed harp, with, the voice and, with voice and lyre together, you have gladdened me by your deeds, O Lord. I shout for joy at your handiwork. How great are your works, O Lord! How very subtle your designs! A brutish man cannot know, a fool cannot understand this. Though the wicked sprout like grass, though all evildoers blossom, it is only that they may be destroyed forever. But you are exalted, O Lord, for all time. Surely your enemies, O Lord, surely your enemies perish. All evildoers are scattered. You raise my horn high like that of a wild ox. I am soaked in freshening oil. 
I shall see the defeat of my watchful foes, hear of the downfall of the wicked who beset me. The righteous bloom like a date palm, they thrive like a cedar in Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they flourish in the courts of our God. In old age they still produce fruit, they are full of sap and freshness, attesting that the Lord is upright, my rock in whom there is no wrong. Now there's a lot to talk about in this um just a few things that I'll point out is that uh, you know, there are a lot of uh, the same ideas, the same structures we're, we'll see in all of these songs. I probably won't have time to go through all ten of them. I can just tell you what they are. But uh, a lot of the main features are here uh, in this psalm. There's the uh, the 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 joy that's uh, being expressed and the gratitude, the praise of God. The praise of God, I think, is the real key. There, there are a few different words that are translated uh, from Hebrew into English as praise. Maybe that's a, uh, another topic for a different podcast, but uh, these songs are usually songs of praise. But they also have this uh, interesting feature, which is, uh, uh, I guess, typical of the genre in religious hymns from the ancient Near East, but... Um, the features of the praise followed by the uh, listing the uh, how, how the God has uh, defeated his enemies, which I feel like, you know, strikes the modern ear as a little jarring. I think that uh, uh, certainly I would prefer if these songs were just about the praises and the, uh, the joy and we didn't have to uh, make it about um, overpowering enemies, but, uh, but that's a feature of the genre and it's something that we'll see again and again and again in these songs the the praise of god followed by followed by like a remembrance of his military victories another thing i want to mention is the uh the presence of the tree i i think i've mentioned before that i'm taking a class with kimberly Patton on trees and so it's something that uh is just very much in the forefront of my consciousness and uh, you know obviously something that's uh enormously significant i think in the hebrew scriptures generally with uh the story of the garden of eden and the trees uh and um we could go on you know that's another huge subject but in this uh psalm 92 we had a couple trees we saw how the righteous bloom like a date palm they thrive like a cedar in lebanon planted in the house of the lord so this is it's significant that the house of the lord has trees planted in it that does sound a lot like eden and it sounds a lot like uh, the mountain of God, that that's uh, uh, in all likelihood, I believe, where uh, this uh, this tree is planted, what it means when it's planted in the house of the Lord. It means like the, the holy mountain, which is the temple mount in, in Jerusalem. So in the traditional in the in the traditional Jewish list of the ten songs in Jew, in, in Hebrew scriptures, that was number one, the song that Adam sang on the first Shabbos, the first holy day after the uh, creation, after after the seven days of creation, six days of creation. The second song in the uh, collection of ten she wrote is the the song of the sea. This one occurs in Exodus fifteen. And it's the song that the Israelites sang when they had just passed through 
the Sea of Reeds, and uh, uh, they were being pursued by the Egyptians and uh, and Pharaoh, and uh, they passed. You know, the, there was the splitting of the miracle of the splitting of the waters, and they passed through. And then Pharaoh and his army were chasing them, and uh, God closed the the waters on on them and drowned them. And so, the song of the sea is the song that they sang at that moment to uh, to celebrate this, uh, uh, I suppose, moment of liberation. And uh, I'll mention also that the the Hebrew word for in the word that's being being used of the of the people at this point in in the Torah, it's actually the word for Hebrew in Hebrew is ivrit, like um, which means Hebrews. That, where that where that name comes from is it means like uh, the people who crossed over. And I think most literally, like this refers to the people who crossed over from Egypt to the Holy Land, which, as we know, took a little bit of time and wasn't exactly uh, always a smooth journey. But that's what it means to to be a Hebrew. And I think, uh, in my personal opinion, like to be a Jew is uh, that's what it's really about: is the person who has made that journey to the Holy Land in a spiritual sense. In the liturgies and prayers, in the prayers that Jews say every day, you're instructed to uh, that every generation should see themselves as if they had personally made the exodus from Egypt. So that that concept is central to the idea of being, I, I would say, being religious, is having undertaken that journey out of Egypt, um, out of spiritual slavery, whatever that might mean, out of spiritual bondage. And in the Torah, when people uh, make that journey, this is what we're looking at now, the Song of the Sea. This is uh, the song that they sing when they've been freed from bondage. I'm not going to recite the whole thing. It's uh, a little bit longer, but it's uh, chapter 15 in the book of Exodus. And it starts off, you know, Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. They said, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and might. He has become my deliverance. This is my God, and I will enshrine him. The God of my father, and I will exalt him. The Lord, the warrior, Yah is his name. So it follows that same sort of pattern that uh, we were just talking about that it opens with these you know this this singing of of God's praises and then it goes on to recount um his military victories and one thing that I really want to pull out and uh uh highlight here is that in this song as in you know the wider story as in the Torah itself as in Jewish scriptures generally God is the Messiah. God is the Savior. He is the one that uh, saved the people. And uh, he's very explicitly identified here in this song as the one who delivered the people, the uh, their, their Savior, our Savior. And then I'll, I'll just read the last few lines of it. Uh, it ends, Till your people cross over, O Lord, till your people cross whom you have ransomed, you will bring them and plant them in your own mountain, the place you made to dwell in, O Lord, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands established. 
the Lord will reign forever and ever. So so the song ends. The song is ending here with a, a note of looking forward. The people have crossed over, but the story's not done yet. The uh the temple hasn't been built yet. They haven't been established, you know, in their home. They haven't quite made it yet to uh their permanent dwelling on, you know, the mountain of God. And there's also something really interesting that happens in the verses immediately after this. The song ends, and then there, you know, there's another verse, and then uh, it also, uh, which which talks about Pharaoh and his horses being drowned in the sea. But then, uh, th- but then the the Torah says, then Miriam the prophetess, Aaron's sister took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her in dance with timbrels, and Miriam chanted for them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. So what's happening here, this is, uh, you know, Exodus fifteen twenty to 21. Aaron's sister, and Aaron is Moses' brother, Aaron's sister, Miriam, uh, is a prophet, and she's a woman, and she is... Uh, uh, leading the women in song and dance, and they uh, like it, it. Just includes the first two lines of the uh, of the song at the sea, but the implication is that the women, now that Moses and the Israelites, you know, and everybody together, sang the song to the Lord, that Miriam, the prophetess, is also leading the people again and, and singing the entire song over again. Which is remarkable and significant because uh, the role of women in in Judaism, in Jewish life, and in you know Jewish uh, uh, scripture, especially, is something we talk quite a bit about at, at Harvard Divinity School. With some scholars believing that Jewish scriptures represent only a male perspective, and that women are largely silent, but it's not something that I think. Uh, I entirely agree with. I think there are a lot of uh, a lot of opportunities to focus a lot more attention on women in leadership roles, even in the Torah, as in uh, this this uh, this moment here with Miriam, who is a prophet of God, singing the song at the sea here in this uh, in what's possibly the the pivotal moment of Jewish history. But that's another subject for another day. I'll just uh, list quickly, you know, some of the other songs in this list of uh, of ten because uh, there certainly isn't time to go through all of them. But uh, but those were the first two. The third song is the the song of the well, which is actually a story that uh, it's scattered. It looks like it's scattered around Exodus numbers, but it is about uh, water miracles that God performs as the people are wandering in the desert and um, uh, miraculous ways that that God gives them water to drink and uh, the song the song is a song that they sing to commemorate this miraculous activity of, of, of God giving them water from a rock through the prophet Moses the fourth song appears in Deuteronomy it's called the song to give ear and the description I'm seeing just uh describes it as a song that, that Moses was uh, instructed by God to write and teach to the people. The fifth song is called The Song of Givon, which appears in the book of Joshua. 
and also occurs at the uh, end of military victory where God is is delivering people where God is is uh, acting as the uh, savior of the people the sixth song is the song of Deborah which is one that I'll pause and look at for a moment because I think it's super interesting this appears in the book of, of uh, Judges right near the beginning it appears in, in Judges chapter 5 and one of the reasons it really stands out is that if you look at the way the uh, Hebrew text is is typeset like it's it's uh it's long and it's it's three pages long in uh m- you know my little uh JPS which is just Jewish Publication Society Tanakh which is uh the Hebrew Bible um three pages and it looks exactly like the song that that Moses and Miriam sang um at, at the Exodus from Egypt um it's typecast in the same way in three uh, columns. It's structurally very, very similar, and this one is sung. The opening says that it uh, is sung by Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam. I don't know who Barak, son of Abinoam, is, but it just strikes me as um, significant that again we have um, a male and a female voice together. So. So Deborah, in this story, what's going on is that uh, the people are being delivered this time from uh, from a Canaanite in an enemy, and uh, and and in this story, the prophet again is a woman. It's Deborah. Um, Brock is uh, a, actually um, the army commander, and there's also another woman who contributes to this. Victory, who is Yale, the wife of uh, Heber the Kenite. Okay, it's a, a another important uh, character or, or moment where we have a, a woman in a, in a critical leadership role. But again, the story uh, emphasizes that none of these people is the uh, deliverer. Or the savior of Israel, that God was the deliverer, God was the savior. And so um, the text here in the book of Judges says that Deborah, the wife of Lapidoth, okay, she was a prophetess. She led Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites would come to her for decisions. So we have this image of uh, a female prophet who is uh, the leader of Israel. And she's sitting under a tree. And so she's sitting under a tree giving prophecy. And the song of Deborah, you know, I'm just skipping around to the story, but the song is, uh, it follows that pattern of, you know, recounting the achievements of, uh, of of the Lord and uh, you know the highlights of the uh, of his military deeds in the story, and then um, as I mentioned, you know it's a, it's a little bit long, and then at the end of it, these uh, two female figures come up at the end of the poem again. There's uh, Yale, the wife of Heberger, the Kenite, who is called the most blessed of women in tents. He asked for water; she offered milk. 
I mean, the, this is the story. I'm not. I, I'm not going to get into the story. But there are these two female figures again, who who figure very prominently at the end of the song, which is uh, Yale and um, Cicera's mother. It just strikes me as remarkable that, that the song is is sung by a female prophet, and that there are these two women uh, who also uh, figure very prominently in the song itself. So that was the sixth song, the song of Deborah. The seventh song, again, sung by a woman. This is uh, Hannah's Prayer of Exaltation, which appears in uh, 1 Samuel. So it looks like for the most part, these uh, ten she wrote actually are following the the order that they appear in the Hebrew Bible, with only a few exceptions. That first one in the Psalms, and then uh, again... Um, in the next one, in the eighth song, we're going to see there's also another psalm, which is a little bit out of order. But except for the psalms, I guess, everything is following the uh, the order that they appear in the book. And uh, the psalms itself are seen as, uh, I guess, a different kind of narrative timeline. So the seventh song was Hannah's Prayer in 1 Samuel. And I'm not, I'm not even really going to get into this at all, but this is a really super interesting story for a number of reasons. The story of Hannah in, in 1 Samuel and her barrenness and turning to God to uh, to ask for a child. And it seems that she is someone in the Hebrew Bible who uh, conceives a child, uh, what do we call it, um, immaculately that uh it seems that she uh she she prays to god and an angel comes and uh she you know pr- pronounces that uh that she'll bear a child and somehow through this uh word of the angel she conceives and her husband in the story is is like super skeptical about like wh- how she got pregnant so this is obviously um of interest to christians because it kind of uh uh follows the same narrative pattern that we find in in later Christian scriptures. The eighth song is the Song of David, which appears in 2 Samuel, and uh, is also in Psalm 18. This is is a very minor variation between the two different versions, but it appears in both places, in 2 Samuel and in uh, Psalm 18. There's a lot that can be said about this one too, but I'm just going to start moving along quickly here to to kind of wrap this up because the the time is getting on here. But um, the ninth song is the song of David, and all I want to say about this just really quickly is that there is a really important element of the story of how David received prophecy in the first place. That uh, Saul recognized him as a, as a child that he was going to be the successor, the one to take on the. Uh, um, role of, of prophecy, um, the office of prophecy, and uh, told him to go out and uh, that he would find this um, group of singing prophets coming down from the mountain. And uh, somehow in that encounter of meeting these prophets who were singing, the Spirit of God entered into David. And David is the um, archetype of the uh the Jewish Messiah in the sense of the uh King of Israel on earth uh representing God. Again, these are all huge subjects I would love to talk about more in the future, but I just wanted to point out the important role of uh music and how he received prophecy in the first place. This most most significant figure in all of Jewish history, second only maybe to Moses himself. 
The ninth song is the, the Song of Songs, which is an, an actual book, the Song of Solomon, which is another, I mean, a lot of many people's favorite part of the Hebrew Bible. Very beautiful love song, and it doesn't really stand out from the rest of the books for a lot of reasons. But really, it's 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 um, it's it's just a love song, and it's understood at, that the uh, the woman in who in the song who's singing is is Israel or the Jewish people, and that the man is God, the husband of of Israel, which is a metaphor you find a lot in the Hebrew scriptures. But um, but it is a really unusual book, and also very very beautiful. This is the one that begins. Um, Oh, give me of the kisses of your mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Your ointments yield a sweet fragrance. Your name is like finest oil. Therefore, do maidens love you. Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me to his chambers. Let us delight and rejoice in your love, savoring it more than wine. Like new wine, they love you. I am black but beautiful, O daughters of Jerusalem like the tents of Kedar, like the pavilions of Solomon. It's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful book. And there's this image of the hieroskamos, the, the, the sacred marriage, the holy marriage of uh, uh, the bride of God being brought into the royal marriage bed. It's just beautiful. And that's the ninth song of the Ten Shirot. And then the tenth song is uh, the song of it has various names uh song of mashiach song of moses a new song and it's mentioned in isaiah and zechariah and this is a song that's going to be sung in the future it's not a uh um a song in the same sense so that it's actually for uh, for most of these 10 songs um the actual song itself is in the hebrew scriptures i think just one or two of them it's uh, it's just said that the people saying a song without actually including the text of the song but overwhelmingly I think uh, almost all of these maybe eight of the ten have the actual text of the song in the scripture uh, but this last one the uh, the uh, the new song the song of Mashiach is a song that's going to be sung in the future at, at the event of the of the redemption and it's just mentioned in Isaiah and in Zechariah so I guess when I wanted to um to do here is just like to give a, a, an introduction to those um, the ten she wrote identified by the rabbis as the the ten songs that appear in the Hebrew Bible, and to point out certain thematic features of the songs, such as usually they include praises of God. The praise of God is a is an is an important element of the shirot that they also include this element of remembering God's deliverance, the victories that God achieved over the forces of evil. You know, and I did uh, uh, an independent study again with uh, Kimberly Patton. Has, uh, she's a wonderful scholar, uh, uh, and she's been one of my real mentors and guides here at Harvard. And she and I did an independent study on Gates in world religions where I focused, I think, you know, 80 or 90% of my attention on gates in, um, gate as in like a gateway, as in like a, a, a door or, uh, 
uh, an entrance, you know, the uh, the gate through which, especially in the Torah, you enter into Jerusalem. And one of the things that I noticed, I spent most of my time focusing on Jewish scriptures again. And one of the things that I repeatedly noticed over and over again is that whenever people go through the gates into Jerusalem, they are singing in in the in the uh, in the Tanakh in in the Hebrew Bible. So there's a clear relationship here also between prophecy and song. We see it most uh, vividly in David's story, but also Deborah and also Moses, but David is a musician, you know, he plays the lyre. It's it's a, a huge uh, uh, important feature of his story, and not only that, but all, all of mo- the Psalms, the book of Psalms, I mean, what we call the book of Psalms, it's uh, really a collection of, uh, uh, of hymns, is all attributed to him, and, and the Psalms are essentially 150 often, you know, short little songs that are mostly ascribed to David, so there, so there is, I think, this this clear connection then between uh, prophecy and music, and especially praise, singing God's praises. And there's plenty more to look at. There's plenty more, plenty more. There's, uh, you know, you can keep thinking about this and looking at it uh, and looking into it. But uh, it's a vast subject and whatever they did and however complex and and whatever various activities the prophets did in in in, in history it, it seems clear that uh, that one of the significant things that prophets did is that they brought these songs of praise into the world